questions. Can anybody relate? And sometimes you wish that you could force people at the other end of that interview to answer those questions for you. So I know that questions and answers have always been a part of life. And as I went through uh, the first couple chapters of the Bible, I found that there were nine or ten uh, some uh, relevant and and some uh, pressing questions that has been introduced to the world, introduced to society, and introduced to you and I. And as I look and reflect on questions, I look and reflect on questions, as Pastor Rhonda mentioned this morning, that things that are in our life, the gaps in our life, where a lot of times I believe the enemy uses questions to distract us, to, to, to detain us, to detour us, to, to wear us out, and to wear us down. And I know that, that uh, there are questions that we, every time we look in the mirror, we ask the question, are we good enough? Are we, are we, are we, are we worthy of what God has? Are we, where, are we at the place where we can receive from God? And I, and I believe some of the most powerful questions, I don't know that they're, all of our questions are ever answered, but I think it's, op- it's important that we ask the questions what gives us some kind of direction to the road or the plight or the, or the, the place that we're at. And I, I find myself a lot of times when I get to a place that I'm at that I don't really like and I don't really want to be a part of, I find myself questioning myself. Anybody ever have conversations with, your, with yourself and say, how in the world did I get here? This is not, this is not the, the plan I chose. This is not the road. This is not the freeway that I map quested. Anybody? And then you get to a place where the longer you live, the more gaps, as she mentioned today, the more places in your life where you feel kind of frustrated. And sometimes you feel frustrated for two reasons. Reason number one, those that you love and care about but, but you're a little bit jealous of seem to have doors open, have questions answered, prayers answered. And then you come to a place where you ask God, am I not good enough to get direction, to get hope, to get wisdom from you? And, of course, we are. And, of course, God speaks in so many, so many, as Pastor Rhonda mentioned today, if you were to drain the ocean with ink and you were trying to, to describe God's attitude towards you and God's love towards you and God's favor towards you. But God put us upon this earth, I believe, for a reason. And I don't know that he put us on the earth to make a lot of money, which is nice, to write a book and be famous, which is nice, to star in your own television show, which I'm assuming would be nice, but we find ourselves in, in, especially the closer uh, I get to 51, and I'm almost there, the closer that uh, actually I'll be able to, to draw Social Security next. <laughs> Woo, that's kind of scary. I've already got it spent. I have to, don't, I don't ask me for any money. I'm not going to loan it. I've already got it. I've already got it spent. But, you know, you get to a certain age in your life, and, you know, I, I was reflecting a couple of days ago as I was just struggling with just, just nauseousness, just struggling, just trying to get out of bed, trying to, I began to mentally make a list of things I would probably never do. And I will probably never jump out of a plane. That Those days are beyond me. I don't see those days. I don't see myself back on a, on a dirt bike. I just don't see that. I've got two broken wrists, a broken back. I have a hard time holding on to anything, 30, 40 pounds. And the longer I laid there, the, the worse I began to feel about myself and it was like, man, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like in the use. I mean, I'm not, I'm not in the use section. I'm in the 
use section that stacks up. You don't want to throw them away. You don't want to burn them, but there they are. I'm in that section. That's, that's where my, my bibliography is going to be found. And I know you have never experienced doubt or discouragement or frustration or anxiety or worry. or But, you know, God puts us upon this earth for a reason. And as I look in the early chapters of the Word of God, the, the plot that God established raising up a generation, I see, and I've shared this with this house, and those of you that were napping, this would be brand new for you. But when you look at questions, when you look at questions expecting an answer or questions that are, that are set up to bait us, to frustrate us, the first person that ever asked a question in the history of the world was the devil. And the very first thing he came against was the family, the marriage. And then the next thing he will come against is the family of Cain and Abel. So it seemed like we would like to think that we're born of God, aspired by God, and directed by God. But the very first person that caused us to reflect or to, or to respond was the devil. And the first question he asked was a misquote of the word of God. The devil, again, is the first one to ever quote the word of God. And he asked the question, Hath God said? And then when he asked the question, he distorted the question, which obviously distorted the answer, which opened the door for Eve to, 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 to fall back. It opened the door for Adam to fall back. And then the Bible says that in the cool of the evening, when God went to meet with his kids, they were hiding. And as they were hiding, the Bible says that God asked the question, where are you? Where are you? Can I tell you today that God is very interested in where you are? Can I tell you he's very interested in your growth, in your walk, in your direction, in your purpose? He is very interested in where you're at right now. It's important to God to know right now where you're at so he can meet you where you're at and to take you where you want to go. And hopefully if we've acknowledged enough to say here's where we are in life, then hopefully we don't get too dis discouraged and frustrated about our age or our inabilities or our shortnesses or our weaknesses, and we have some kind of mindset that said, we got to get out of this place if it's the last thing that we ever do. Anybody been there? I mean, the pity party, I'm tired of the pity party, the depression, the frustration, the what seems to be strikes, seemed like I've had more than three strikes. I mean, I'm still striking and missing. Anybody relate? We got to get out of this place. And so God cares about where you're at, what you're going through, and what you're feeling. He cares, he cares about all that. So God asked the question, where are you? He want, and, he, and he, you know, he knows where you are, and he can read your mind, and he can be that little genie that you wipe and a little miracle takes place. But God wants you to respond to him, respond to his call, respond to his direction, respond to his purpose, and respond to his will. And those are a lot of responses. And sometimes it's just a matter like where, where Eli, or, uh, Isaiah said, here, here, my Lord, send me. I'm here. There's a weakness. My mouth is out of order. My friends are out of order. My confession is out of order. I've got sin in my life. But here I am. Use me. So regardless of where you're at in life, God said, I want to come to where you're at, and I want to use you in the state that you're in. 
I don't have to give you a diploma. You don't have to go nine weeks. You don't have to take the three-year course. I want to use you right where you're at because it's in your circumstances that provide experience, and experience provides testimony. Does anybody this morning have a testimony? I'm telling you, you have a testimony. You're here. You didn't oversleep. You didn't sleep in. You didn't go to Walmart. You didn't do the brunch. You came to the house of God because you were told that if you came, something would happen, that two or three would gather together in his presence, begin to praise him, and God would come down, show up, show out, and show off. So you're here this morning expecting God to do something in your life for you, through you, to you, so you can take that abundance and give it away. Some groceries were given to the church this week. There was enough to bless one, two, three, four families. So, you know, usually when you show up in the house of God, there's not just enough there to meet your need, but there's enough there to meet the needs of others. I woke up one morning this week to find 32 ripe avocados in my, on my porch. 32. I immediately ate two. If you've never cut an avocado in half and taken the seed and thrown it away and taken a big old spoonful of mayonnaise or salad dressing and slapped it inside of that avocado and then take that spoon and dig out that avocado with that bite of mayonnaise, I'm getting hungry. I don't think it gets a whole lot better than that. Well, the first thing that I did was I took eight avocados to my parents. And then I took eight avocados to, to the bank where I, my bank loves me. I bring them homemade ice cream. I bring them fudge. I bring them avocados. So before I left the bank, three of the tellers were fighting over the eight. They're trying to split eight avocados three ways. And how many knows three doesn't go into eight? It just doesn't work. Somebody is going to have to give up the blessed avocado. I don't know if they sorted that. They, they, they worked it out. But that's the way that God operates, enough not just to meet your need, but enough to meet the needs of others. So that means so that God has a portion this morning he wants to give you to bless you to be able to be blessed and used by others. Do I have a friend in the house that says, I'm ready. I'm ready to be used. I'm ready to be used to God. So God, God knows where they're at. God knows where they're at. It was exactly where they're at. And Adam said, we were hiding because we were naked and we were afraid. And then God asked another question. Who told you you were naked? Who told you you were naked? He told the woman, what have you, what have you done? And then the blame game, okay? The devil, the, the woman blames the snake. The snake blames, the, the man blames the woman. The woman blames the snake. The snake doesn't have anybody to blame, so he gets the brunt of most of what's going on there. But God, but God said, who told you you were naked? What, what, what have you done? What have you, and, and you know, because of their decisions, to wrongly address a question asked, we find them judged. And we find the judgment, you're going to die, you're going to work, you're going to labor, you're going to have kids, it's going to be a tough life, but I will redeem. I'm sending the son, which will bite the heel of the, the enemy, will bite the heel of my son, and my son's foot will crush the hood of the enemy. So the plan of Calvary came out of the failure in the garden. Thank God, thank God for that, that God did make a way where there seemed to be no way. And then all of a sudden, God... God begins to ask some questions of us. Two sons, Cain and Abel, both of them brought a gift to God. I'm sure the gift that Cain brought was awesome. It was fruit. It was vegetables. It was stuff that he had gleaned from the ground. The Bible says that Abel brought a lamb, brought the, brought the fat of a lamb, brought, brought the, the, a, a blood sacrifice. And the Bible said that God honored Abel's sacrifice but did not honor Cain's sacrifice. You know, sometimes... How easy it is to get jealous. Did you ever notice that? 
Do you ever notice, like, you, maybe you started out on the same path at the same time as somebody else, but it's like they have just catapulted. They have just, they have just soared to the next level that God has for them, and you're still here taking change out of your sock drawer so you can buy a gallon of gas. I know none of you have a sock drawer. I know, I know none of you take your change down to Cook's Food, and, and you act like you're on a mission, and you always tell that when you turn the eating, oh, yeah, this is my daughter's money. She wants me to turn her money. you got to let everybody know that you don't need $12 for gas, but it's your daughter. Any liars in the building with me this morning? I know. Well, at least we had one or two. That was awesome. But it is so, it is so easy if we're not careful to get jealous over how God is blessing others or how God is using others. And we see in this jealousy that Cain had an attitude. And, and God, God asked Cain, he said, what you, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Why are you angry? Uh, why has your countenance fallen? I mean, God saw his demeanor, saw his attitude, knew that something. Well, and God, again, knows he answered that question, but sometimes I believe he wants to verbalize what's going on in our life, not so that he can hear it, but that we can hear it. You know, 90% of healing of relationships and counseling is usually, is usually takes place in the first hour of the session. We don't counsel any marriage, any finances, any, anybody struggling with anything at all. The first 30 to 45 minutes, I just let them talk. I don't interrupt. I let them say everything that's in their heart, everything that's in their spirit, everything they're going through. And something happens as they begin to say what's going on in their life. It's like all of a sudden little tiny revelations begin to pop wide open. It's like, well, you know, if I hadn't have done that, I probably wouldn't have been here. And if I hadn't have been here, I probably wouldn't have done that. Can anybody relate? So I think a lot of times God is asking you what's going on in your life so you can verbally, out, out loud, hear what you're saying. And as you begin to hear what you're saying, then you step into a path. If, if it's the right bump, it's the right nudge, you step in the path. Instead of telling God about your problem, you start telling your problem about God. And this week we took authority over an area that we felt the enemy was trespassing we felt like the enemy had no place there. And so we went with the attitude of we are confronting this problem and we're telling this problem, you're not welcome here. I'm telling this problem, you have no authority here. You're not welcome here. This is a God, uh, this is a God house. This is a blood-bought family. You are a liar. You're trespassing. And we run you off in Jesus' name. And the next day when questioned how are things, things were good. It's because we take authority in the name of Jesus. And it, it always helps to get someone to pray with you and to agree with you. But God is, God is confronting Cain. Here's what God says. If you do the right thing, if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? Will your prayers not be answered? Will doors not open for you? In other words, there is a, there is a, 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 a list of direction of how we pursue the things of God. And then when we have done all, we stand waiting for God to either fill in a gap or for God to speak, or for God to move. When we've done everything we know to do, we stand, and we can stand in mistakes and fail, failures. We can say, shouldn't have done that, shouldn't have bought that, shouldn't have gone there, shouldn't have said that, shouldn't have got involved in that. We, we stand with that, knowing that God has the ability to turn it around, to completely turn it around and give us another opportunity to do the right thing. Is anybody asleep on me this morning? So, lo and behold, Abel gets, Cain gets mad, 
sees his brother out in the field and kills him. Kills him, takes his life and kills him. And so God comes on the scene and God said, where is Abel, your brother? And Abel said, and Cain said, am I my brother's, I don't, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And then God asked again, what have you done? What have you done? The blood of your brother is calling out from the ground. What have you done? And we look at that. I look at that maybe in a way because I know where I want to go this morning in the next 11 minutes. I look at that in a way that we need to realize there are things in our life that we desperately need to fulfill God's purpose. And we don't need to kill those things in our life that we need to fulfill God's purpose. Does that help anybody in this house? We all need a brother. We all need a sister. We all need people in our life surrounding us so that we can do what God has called us to do and we can be what we have caused us to be. And when I think about the need for a family, you know what is crazy? Before there was ever a mom and dad, before there was ever a mom and dad, Adam said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one. Before there was ever, before there was ever a mom, Adam and Eve were the first kids. They didn't have a belly button. They didn't have a belly button. They, they, weren't, they were created. They weren't conceived. They were created. And so right there with first statements out of the mouth of, of Adam, we need a family. We need a family. And that's why God gives us a church to be a part of, to be involved in, to attend. You've heard me say, and it just goes with my notes today, is that I believe the churches of America and the churches of the nation need to be set up and operated the way that you would operate an emergency room at the hospital. I don't know if you've ever felt so bad that you went in the emergency room without brushing your teeth. I don't know if you felt so bad you went to the emergency room in your pajamas. I don't know if you ever felt so bad that you went to the emergency room with a bad hair day. That's what emergency rooms are for. It's not about how much you know, how much you can give, what you can do, what you can be. You go there because you are sick. And the emergency room of the hospital is full of three types of people. Sick people, nurses who help people as they pursue their healing, and doctors who know how to prescribe the right thing to get your healing. And when you look at the hospital as an emergency room, a lot of things make sense. There's a reason why the Bible says where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the midst of them. There's, there's, there's something that happens in a corporate anointing, in a corporate blessing. You may come in feeling, I mean, just absolutely feeling bad. You barely made it. You're sick. You don't feel good. You don't feel good all week. You blew the transmission. You got a flat tire. You ran over the baby's bicycle. I mean, it hasn't been a good Sunday morning. All that happened on Sunday morning. It hasn't really been that good of a day. And then you go, and if you're careful not to allow jealousy, but then you go and see somebody who, as far as you know, has it a lot worse than you do. I mean, they, they, they've really, I mean, they, they, they're really out there. But they seem to be standing, smiling, praising, worshiping. And that would do one of two, or the two things. That will either make you mad or make you motivated. Mad or motivated. 
And whatever you choose, whatever emotion you choose to expound on, that's what you're going to receive. If you sit there soaking sour, you're going to leave sit, sitting soaking and souring. But if, if you grasp faith off of that and you receive, well, I know what they're going through. I know what's happening in their life. I know what's taking place. But yet they still have a smile. They're still worshiping. They're still praising. They're still trying to do the right thing. That's the purpose of a church, and that's the purpose of a hospital. And when you make yourself accountable to the things of God, a church or a hospital, you will find that there are three very important people in your life, three very important people. The first person that you need in your life is a Paul. A Paul is a mentor, a spiritual father, a counselor. And I, I, I wrote this, and I've written it several times, but I want to write it again to make sure you know what a, what a mentor is. A mentor does not have a hidden agenda. The mentor is not there to build a denomination or to build a core, build a crowd, or to build. The, the mentor is there to help you, to encourage you, to bless you, to help you get to the next place that you need to be. So everyone needs a Paul. Every one of us needs a pastor. Every one of us needs a spiritual father. Rhonda and I, we have authority in our life, pastors in our life, apostles in our life that speak to us in times that we need to hear them speak to us. And they don't always call and say, hey, I had a dream last night. I was supposed to call you. Sometimes it's us calling them saying, hey, here's where we're at. Here's what we're going through. Here's some of the decisions. What do you think? And we put that in their spirit. They pray about it a couple, sometimes in just a moment, sometimes a couple of days. They respond. We receive their counsel and pursue it to the best of our ability. The second person that everyone needs in your life is a Silas. Silas is an eye-to-eye friend. Silas is a prayer partner. Silas is a, a partner in the things of God. Silas is someone that you're growing with. You're, 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 you're maturing together. You're, you're, you're taking on things together. You're, you're involved in stuff. A very good Silas would be your wife. A very good Silas would be your husband. God will bring men into your life to sharpen you. God will bring women in your life to encourage you. And that's why you need to have a local church and you're plugged in the body, to have a, a Paul, a Silas. And the last person that everyone in this house needs is a Timothy. There needs to be some payback. There needs to be someone that you're sowing into. Maybe they won't let you counsel them or help them, but you can pray for them. There are things you can do to help them to get stronger, to grow, and you're not going to find those things at Walmart. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you're going to find at Walmart, but that's not one of them. You're probably not going to find that at Chick-fil-A. You might find fellowship, which is two guys in a ship. That's the fellowship, the koinia. But you're probably not going to find a mentor at Chick-fil-A. I mean, just a possibility. You're probably not going to find probably a, a, a Silas at the Cleveland Bradley game. How about that number 56? Hello? Who, 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 56? I didn't see the game, but I saw the crowd and was glad that I, I didn't go to the game. <laughs> I know that's terrible, but you're probably you're probably not going to find you're probably not going to find what you're looking for at a Cleveland Brett. Pr- pr- probably not, and you're probably not going to find someone to help at the post office. Maybe a little lady, but but but, but the odds are, if you're going to find someone to be blessed by, to bless and to be a blessing, it's probably going to happen around the things of God, where God's at, what God is saying, and what God is doing. And that's why every one of us needs those things in our life. I remember the, um, and I have six minutes, when the um, rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, uh, uh, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus said, uh, you know, love, love your neighbor as yourself. And he said, well, who, who is my neighbor? 
And Jesus began to tell the story of a guy that left Jerusalem, went to Jericho, fell among thieves, was beaten half to death, was laying there in his wounds and his pain. And the Bible says a Levite came by and saw him, but the Levite had a different agenda and walked around him. The Bible says a priest was walking. A priest saw him laying there, but a priest didn't have time, and he walked around, uh, walked around and walked away from him. But there was a Samaritan that was considered to be a lower-life people. They weren't, they weren't society's best. They were cursed. But a Samaritan came by and saw the guy, picked him up, applied oil, applied wine, put him on his donkey, took him to a house, told the house there to take care of him, and if, we, if you do more than two days' care, I'll, I'll reward you when I return. And there we find the church. The good Samaritan took the guy that was beat up, poured in the oil and the wine. And the oil and the wine are the two things that you provide in any healing relationship. Number one, the oil represents your anointing. It represents how anointed you, how anointed are you to witness? How anointed are you to do the right thing? How anointed are you to say the right thing? What kind of relationship do you have with God? How are you tied in with that anointing? And how can you apply that anointing? The wine has always represented joy. All the way through the Bible, wine has been a symbol of joy. What kind of joy do you pour into a container that's beaten up? What kind of favor do you pour into a container that many have seemed to abandon and and seen and has seen not and seen no fit to help or no no fit to bless? That's the, that's the greediest, the abilities that God puts in you, and He doesn't leave us out here all by Himself. He says there is a local body, there is a church. Here's where you take people that are beat up. Here's where you take people that are hurting. Here, you take people. We take care of your physical. We try to the clothes closet. We take care of your 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 finances. We try to help you get a job. We try to help you pay your bills. We try to help you get food. And that's what the church is all about: giving back what God has given us, the very ability to give back. And aren't you glad that you're a part of that? Aren't you glad that you're plugged in that? Food went out to hungry families this week out of this house. Clothes went out to families this week in this city that needed clothes. And that's the way that God rules. That's the way God operates. But he does it with you. And he does it with all of us working together for that kingdom. And I have four minutes to do this last thing, and I can. Things that can happen at a church if you're where you're supposed to be and you're doing what you're supposed to do. There was a window in the life of Jesus when he was a rock star. And everywhere he went, buildings were packed out. To the capacity, there was absolutely no more room in the building, especially around the door, that people could get to Jesus. So there was a meeting that Jesus was at. It was packed. He was teaching. He was ministering. And all of a sudden, right there in the middle of his ministry, his teaching to a full house, something began to happen in the roof. Dust began to fall in the roof. And a broken tile began to fall on the ground. And people began to back off and get out of the way. I promise you, your roof starts falling in, you're going to back away and give it room to do what it wants to do. Do I have a witness in the building? So here are these people. They're trying to hear Jesus. You're talking about distraction. You're trying to hear Jesus. And the roof's caving in. And these four guys lower their buddy down to get to where Jesus is at because they knew if they could get to church, hello, if they get the house of God, if they get to where the Lord promised to be, if they showed up, if they could get that person there, there could probably be a breakthrough. There could probably be a healing. There could probably be a restoration. And you know the story. They lower the bed. He forgives him of his sins. He heals him. He walks away from that place. 
But do you know where I believe those four guys were next Monday morning? I think they went back to the house and repaired the roof. I don't know, just a thought. If they hadn't, we'd have sued them. There'd have been, there'd have been some kind of hell to pay. Hello, I mean, we, we Christians, we're mean, man. We devour one another. We, don't, we, don't, we, we bury our wounded. We don't heal. We bury our wounded in, until, God they, until God they died. So those are some of the things that you will find at church. And then I got to thinking, I got to thinking about some things that you'll find where people are gathered for the right reason, but they do the wrong thing. And it's the pool of Bethesda. And there was a guy that had been there 30 some odd years. And Jesus walks up to him. And here's the question. Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? And the guy's saying, I really do, but I have no one to help me. I really do, but I have no one to help me. Wouldn't it be a tragedy if for day after day, week after week, month after month, God put someone into your life that you could help them and you really never thought about it? You never really entertained it. Maybe your woes were so powerful and so devastating you didn't have any heart or didn't have any energy. But I wonder how many times people are dropped into our life and into our path. And the point I'm trying to make, the church is mobile. The church is not just 3,900 Atkinson Drive. But anytime we're at a place where we see a need and we begin to operate, the Bible says, how can two walk except they walk together? One falls down, the other one picks them up. One comes for attack, the other one, the other one helps him. And there's a, I thought, very interesting, the third thing about that walking, walking together. Uh, in the, uh, the mountains of Alaska, they have that race that, that uh, it's got a weird name. That, yes, say that fast three times. Anyway, they have a race, and, you know, the, the, the greatest dogs of the world, the greatest riders of the world all meet for that race. I think it's quite, it's quite lengthy, 100, uh, like, like a long, long, like, like it's a long, long, and people die. And people die, people die because of the weather, because of the elements, because of just, I mean, I'm a blizzard can come, you can fall in the ice. I mean, a lot of people die, things like that. But I remember that when you were a part of that race and a part of that event, they would have what's called a two-dog night. And it meant that it was so cold, it was so cold that you put one dog on one side of you and one dog on the other side of you, and those two dogs kept you warm. But if it got really cold, I mean really, really cold, they call that a three-dog night. And that's where you get joy to the world, all the boys and girls. Now, yeah, that's called a three-dog night. That means you have one dog on one side, one dog on the other, and then the third dog lays on top of you, and the body heat of those three dogs keep you warm. How crazy is that? You see three guys in a fiery furnace that their three bodies kept them cool. The power of agreement, the power of doing what God has called you to do and what God, what God wants you to do. And I close with this equation. The word says that one can turn 1,000, two can turn 10,000. If you keep doing the math, three can turn 100,000, four can turn a million. Can anybody possibly have the influence that they could affect millions. Absolutely. In November, a person will be elected that we call the most powerful person upon the face of the planet. And that person's attitude, that person's rhetoric, that, that person's uh, diplomacy has the ability to change the world. 
Well, if that man or woman can change the world, then what can we do because greater is he that is in us, help me, than he that is in the world? As every head is bowed, I close. As Pastor Ron has already taken us to an altar ministry, I just want to encourage you. I just want to, to, to let you know you're at the right place doing the right thing for the right reason. And results are coming. You can't, you can't keep sowing and not reaping. You can't keep blessing and not be blessed. But God is strategically this week placing you. Maybe at the pool of Bethesda where there's no one there to help someone find their way to God. You are that lighthouse. You are that salt. You are that city. God places that so important. He doesn't entrust that to the angels, but he gives it to the saints for us to apply and do what God has called us to do. And then if you look at me just for a moment, using Pastor Ron's illustration of two Wednesday nights ago in Schindler's List, you know the story that uh, God used a heathen to spare nine, over 900 Jewish lives. And when they all met to love on him and just let him know what the difference he had made, he got overwhelmed by what he'd accomplished. And he began to look inward and he said, there's more I could have done. There's more I could have done. I could have sold this watch. I could have sold the car. I could have, I could have. What I don't want me to do is to be on the other side of heaven and say, I, I could have done more. I wish I had done more. I want to stand on this side saying, I'm broke. I've done all I can do. I've spent all I can spend. I have no more energy. I have no more sanity. I mean, I'm, not, I'm, 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 I'm brain dead. I've, I've given all I can give. I've done all I can do. I can do no more. Let that be your epitaph. I did all I could in Jesus' name.